0: Good morning, friends. It's good to see you guys again. Uh, if it's your first time this morning, you're wondering what in the world is happening here. Um, over the last five weeks, we've been in a series called The Hope of Heaven, and uh, we ask um, you guys to send some questions in that you may have about heaven. And this morning, we have a Q&A to help answer those questions using God's Word. And uh, I hope that this time is uh, fruitful for you guys. Um First service was a lot of fun, so I pray that this morning, uh, second service goes just as well. And so, uh, let me open us up in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, as it is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And uh, I pray that um, your word just helps us understand more about um, heaven, what heaven is, and what it's not. And um, I pray that uh, this morning that you would be glorified and um, edified, and I pray that we would be encouraged. And just thank you for this opportunity to share with our church family, um, just to help answer some questions that they have about who, what heaven is and, and um, all that entails. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. And so, I'm not sure if you know who these gentlemen are. This is Curly and this is Mo. So, we have Brandon back to our lead pastor and elder, and Charlie McMath, one of our elders, and um, they're going to uh, work through these questions. And um, first, I think this one's for Brandon. So, are we switching it up this time? Or, I mean, because like last time I got all the hard questions. <laughs> I don't know what you call hard, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. <laughs> um, Charlie, did you feel like you had hard questions last time or you got the easy road? I felt like it was pretty balanced. Balanced, okay. see? Okay. <laughs> all the, I guess y'all
1: can, y'all can be the judge at the end. Y'all can tell us. It's who all went, perspective. Who, it is. It's all perspective.
0: So I like this question. I'm not sure who sent this in, but uh, I love it because uh, deer season is coming up, and I love some fried deer steaks. So um, what meat will we eat in heaven? If meat is consumed in heaven, do animals die again? Specifically over meat, meat. Um, Brandon. Meat. You can have this one. Yes, meat.
1: exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think so. If if you've been following along with us in this series, uh, one of the things we said uh, was that heaven today is not what it will, or not what it was, and it's not what it will be. So for me, I go back to the very first heaven. That's in the Garden of Eden. You've got Genesis chapter one, um, in verse twenty nine. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, but it just says that every plant yielding thing will be good for food, um, and then you go a little bit further into verse, I think it was thirty, and it kind of reiterates that. And there's seems to be in the Garden of Eden there was no consuming of meat, and so are we going to return back to that? Because it wasn't after until after the fall of man that God really makes it permissible for man to to harvest animals for the purpose of meat. Obviously, you have that debate in the early church as well. Um, should you eat meat? Should you shouldn't eat meat? What meat should you eat? Um, and we know that every good thing comes from God, and we also know, according to Paul and to the church, um, that we would see, um, that, hey, all things are permissible. So then you get to the question, well, okay, if all things are permissible, but they didn't have meat in, our, you know, in the Garden of Eden, do we have meat in the new heaven? And I would say, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I hope so, right? Um, I think the question you got to ask yourself is this. Um, as you kind of come to this topic, we know there's going to be a wedding feast. Now, men, this might just be the way we think, but I can't see a feast without meat. Amen. Am I wrong on that? Like if you're going to have a wedding feast, I'm like, I don't, feast to me does not say carrots and broccoli and ranch dip. <laughs> like it says chicken wings and and venison. Bacon. And bacon, bacon for sure. So uh, the question too is, okay, how are you going to get that meat? Well, if Revelation 21 tells us that there's going to be no more death. And we know you're not going to harvest animals in the way that they're harvested now. So maybe it grows on trees. So like a bacon-covered tree. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's plant-based meats. I don't. I have no idea. Some of you are like, oh, yes. I, mean, I get it. We're Texans. I understand. Um, Ezekiel, I think, in 47, um, just reminds us that in whether it's the millennial kingdom or in the future kingdom, there's going to be fishermen and there's going to be fish and there's going to be cast, casting of nets. Jesus in his glorified body ate fish. Um, so you might ask, well, okay, what, what's the answer? I, I, don't, I really don't know. Um, Isaiah 65, we know the lamb and the lion are going to be together. So we know that there's going to be no more death, and because of that, you're not going to harvest the way you are. Can there be meat? Yes. Could God supernaturally do anything he wants to provide us some meat without death? Do you all think he can do that? Yes. Yes. And so I personally can't prove it, but I believe there will be meat in the new heaven and new earth. If not, then I trust the Lord, and my new glorified body is going to give me new glorified taste buds that won't require meat consumption. That's Amen. my
0: final answer. Amen. Okay, uh, this question is for you as well. This is two, this, two in a row. This is where the scale feels like it's yeah, not it balanced. does. It feels like it tips in, in, in my favor. No, uh, this is kind of a funny question. So, okay, what is it? Um, will we be naked in heaven? This is when you like, it's like, Lord, I hope not, right? Amen.
1: Uh, will we be naked in heaven? Um, well, if it's a return <laughs> to Eden, when you see Adam and Eve before sin, they were naked. naked. So, uh, could we potentially be naked? Uh, maybe. I think, if you were to kind of look at the true picture and spectrum, um, you don't see any nakedness in what heaven is today. And so I would conclude that you might could say we won't be naked in the future kingdom as well. So even when you think about uh, in the gospel accounts, when you see uh, an angelic being, they're always clothed. Um, in Revelation chapter 4, you see that the 24 elders and the saints that are there, uh, that John sees in his vision are clothed. Revelation chapter 6, um As the martyrs are asking the Lord to avenge their blood, uh, they were given a white robe. And so I would conclude that in the new heaven and the new earth, that you will not be naked, that you will be clothed. If you are naked, then in our new glorified bodies and our no need to recollect sin, you won't know. And that should give us all comfort as well. So either way. You won't know you're naked. I think you'll be clothed. Our perspective would be
0: changed. I think so. Amen. Praise Praise God. That's right. (laughs) All right, Charlie. Uh, Will there be sports in heaven? Will there be sports in heaven? Actually, the Bible talks about
2: uh, sports and even competitive sports. And we often overlook it. Um, You could go to the creation account, Genesis chapter 1. And it, which oftentimes is just paraphrased wrong. It really reads, in the beginning,
1: (laughs) baseball reference. Some of y'all need to sit up in your chairs because it went over your head. Yeah.
2: And then I I sing a song, you know, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise, even volleyball courts or tennis courts or, um, no, on a serious note, I don't, I don't think there's going to be competitive sports in heaven and I don't. I don't, there's no recollection of that, that up to my knowledge, in the Bible. But um, Isaiah talks about obviously the, the newness of everything when we have uh, fattened calves uh, laying around with a young lion, or a wolf laying around with a, a lamb, you know, bear and a cow, sheep and goats, leopards and goats. I mean, um, but Zechariah also talks about that the infant will lay, or not lay, the infant will play next to the cobra, the toddler will. Will stick its hand in a lion in a snake's den. So, because the toddlers and the infants are going to be playing, I love to play. So I'm hopeful that they'll be playing in heaven, and I think they will be.
0: Not in a competitive nature. Not. I
2: don't think it's a competitive nature; just yeah. a recreational enjoyment.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay, Brandon. Our books, such as "90 Minutes in Heaven," "Heaven is for Real," and "23 Minutes in Hell," biblically sound. Charlie would love to answer that, right?
1: i have i
2: have read two of those books but i'll let you answer that since he picked you
1: um so when you when you think about that question um he's talking about three specific books in which the authors claim that they they died had an encounter of some kind and then wrote about it um and i don't know how many millions of copies have been sold but i would say a lot so the question is is are those valid? And when I think about that, I think I think about all of the in the resurrections that you would see in the scriptures. And so you see a multitude of accounts in the scriptures of people who were deceased and then came back to life. Um, you know for sure of um, Jesus rose from the dead. Um, at the resurrection of Jesus, Matthew, the gospel account of Matthew, says there are many other saints that that rose again, which oftentimes is a subtle place that you miss. Um, We know that um, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Uh, Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. Um, Jesus, not only was he resurrected, but in John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. The question that I ask, just from my perspective, is if all of these people had accounts of death and then resurrection, then why don't we have anything in the scriptures that would validate their claims of that intermediate time? They're dead. For Lazarus, we know it was several days, so why don't we have something that would give us an account of heaven? Uh, We know that we do have an account from, from John. We have a very brief account where Paul says that he had a vision, although he wouldn't talk about it. So, as a result of those things, the question you got to ask yourself is okay, are those valid? And then I just go to scripture. So, the way I think about the question is you've got all these people who've been resurrected, they don't give us an account. In John chapter 1, verse 18, um, Jesus, um, or I'm sorry, John says that no one has seen God at any time. That's verse 18. So if no one's seen God, then how do they write about that? Then I keep going from there, just kind of build on. So I would go to Second Peter, chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you can t- turn there with me because I'm going to have to turn there myself. Second um, Peter chapter one, verse 20 and 21 just says this, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As I read that, what I see is our Bible was given to us by God as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the question you're asking is not, should I read that book? The question is, is should I interpret that book as a biblical expression? Is it Is it something that should be compared to the canonized Bible that you and I have? You may say, well, it is inspired by God. The question that you then have to ask is, what does it mean in Revelation 22? If you have a Bible, you can flip over a little bit further. I was having this conversation just with my kiddos a couple of weeks ago about adding to the word of God. Revelation 22, uh, verse 19 says, Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. He goes on, he says, if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. So we have a caution against adding or taking away specifically from what? God's word. God's word. And so what I would say is this. You should be very cautious against anything that adds or takes away from the Word of God. The Word of God gives us a ton about heaven and the reality of heaven and about what it will be like. And so I would just say be cautious about trying to interpret heaven from the lens of someone else who was deceased or had an experience that they are recounting and selling books on I'm not saying you can't read the book. What I would say is I would not interpret heaven or the lens of heaven from that book. I personally haven't read them, and so that might even tell you a little bit where I stand on them. Uh, I just think we can use God's Word to interpret it. So yeah. That's the long answer to that question. So. But, friends, that's how, that's how I think you should interpret any question. It's just work your way through God's Word to try to answer the question.
0: Good job, Brian. Charlie. Who can we assume are sitting on the 12 thrones? If it's the disciples, did somebody else take Judas's spot? Um,
2: Jesus said it's recorded in Matthew, uh, verse, it's in chapter 19. I, I should have marked that spot, just a second. Matthew 19, I think it was 28 because we looked through it last. Yeah, here it is. Matthew 19:28 says Jesus said to them Truly I tell you in the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel That's Matthew uh, 28 verses I'm sorry Matthew 19 verse 28 So Jesus tells us before he departed this world that um, when he was walking the earth that the twelve followers that followed him would sit on those 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel begs the question what about Judas so we know Matthias had cast lots and he was added as a disciple there's also the apostle Paul so I think it's safe to say that they're going to sit on the throne and judge but who might take that 12th spot
0: um who knows thank you Charlie Brandon will there be a bible in heaven yes final answer <laughs> what,
1: what will that Bible look like? Um, so will there be a, So, when I think about the Bible, I think about the Word of God. So I think about John chapter 1. Um, John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so who is the Word of God? Jesus. And so Jesus has always been. Um, he's the Alpha and the Omega. So the Word of God has always existed. And will continue to exist long after this world is renewed. Will it be in the form of the Bible you and I have? I'm not sure we'll need the form of this Bible when we'll actually have the literal word of God before us. He will illuminate the city. He is all truth. And so will we have the Bible? Yes, because God is the word and the word dwells. In Christ. And Christ will be there. Um, hope that's a sufficient answer. That's how I would think of it. I, don't, I won't need this because right now what I have here reveals the nature of God. I'll see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13 just says, We now see in a mirror dimly lit, but one day we'll see him face to face. We'll get to know everything we don't know and more when we see the Christ. And behold Him.
0: Amen. What a glorious day that will be. That's a song, right? You going to sing that? I do not. (laughs) Charlie Mike. I'm asking questions today. (laughs) Charlie. He's in charge. uh, When the last big battle between God and Satan takes place, will we be a part of that army? And if so, is there a chance of us dying again during that battle? It's a deep question.
2: Um, yeah, I was actually reading this a couple weeks ago. Um, Revelation 19 and 20 talks about those two battles. There's two separate battles actually. Um, the first is before the thousand-year millennial reign, and I personally believe that's a, a literary interpretation. Some thinks it's, it's different, but I think there'll be an actual thousand-year reign. But prior to that, you know, it talks about our Lord Jesus, and it describes him as the one sitting on a white horse. He's going to come, and he's going to have a robe in white, you know, pure white. It talks about his eyes being fiery flames, but his white robe will be dipped in blood. But behind him will be the armies of the living God. And it talks about those armies being as chosen and faithful. And, and Scripture would tell us that we're chosen and faithful. And so I would believe, based on that, that we're going to be right behind him. We're also wearing a pure white, based on our forgiveness of sins. But it talks about he has the sword of his mouth. And before really the fight happens, it, the Bible's clear in Revelation, I think it's 19, it says they're destroyed, they're slaughtered with the, the sword of his mouth, which would talk about him being the word of God. And so Satan's going to be captivated, and after a thousand years, he'll be released for a short time. And then it happens again, Satan and his, and his folks surround us. But then it talks about the armies of God are right there, and, and Jesus described him the same way, but this time they're consumed by, the, by heaven. So really, it, the battle is won. The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's, and he really devours them quickly and swiftly before really we would probably even raise a weapon. Um, so no, you're not going to die again, and God's going to take care of both, both instances in that re- relatively rapidly, I would think.
1: What's interesting is, and he just made inference to that, what did you say? The, the,
2: his soul is, the sword is Jesus' mouth. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, yeah. it's his word, it's right? his word. So
1: yeah. how did God create everything we see and know? Through his word. How does he bring back his justice? Through his word. What is his word? Christ. So when he speaks, he illuminates his purposes, and so it's amazing that he can bring vengeance just with his word. What is the word of God? It's the sword of the Spirit. What does the sword of Spirit do? It it, it divides us. It it allows us to be. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides um,
2: joints and marrow as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, sorry, just a little a little add-on there. That was that was for no charge. There you go. It was a great add-on. <laughs> there you go.
0: Brandon, can we make friends in heaven? Yes, we can. Final answer.
1: <laughs> Give Charlie one now. No, I'm just um Yeah, I think so. And the way I think through that is uh, I shared this with the first service. I just think about First uh, John 1, um, verse 7. We're encouraged to live in the light as he is in the light. And then it says, and we'll have fellowship with one another. So when we live in the light as Christ in the light, we have fellowship, right? And friendship and harmony, we're the koinonia, it's a family. Um, And I just think about in the new heaven, there will be no more night, and Christ will be our light. So if you're in the presence of light, there's fellowship with one another. And so absolutely, I think we'll make lots of friends in the new heaven and the new earth. Charlie,
0: how large will heaven be?
2: You asked me this question last service.
0: Hey, you should be able to answer. I that. should. Hey, I don't know about
2: the, the heaven that exists now, but the Bible talks about the new heaven, and it's pretty cool. Um, I have a family. My son and his family live in Florida, and I could drive all the way to Florida and back, and it's still less than 1,400 miles. But then they describe the new heaven. It's 1,400 miles long. It's 1,400 miles deep, and it's 1,400 miles in height. It's It's a square. And that's the that's the, the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, and that's huge. It also talks about that being a human measurement. It's the same as angel measurements, as as John was up on a tall mountain or whatever, seeing this vision. And he also describes the walls um, that there's. I think they're at 216 feet high. And verse 12 of that chapter will talk about how high the wall is. And it doesn't say. If it's like the city is described in length, width, and depth, the wall is not. But it's my personal belief that the wall is not only 216 feet high, but it's probably that thick as well. But that's my speculation. But if you compare that to what uh, John is used to seeing, the old Jerusalem gates around the old city of Jerusalem average 39 feet in height. So when he's seeing something 216 feet tall, he's seeing something, as he described, a tall wall. And if you want to compare that to Romans, Romans back in the day when they would uh, fortify a city, their walls would be between 20 and 30 feet high. So it's very descriptive. And to put that in perspective, uh, NASA or or aerospace engineers and those kind of folks would say that we enter space now when we're 62 miles above the Earth's surface. So we're going to be well beyond 62 miles above the Earth's surface when you go 1,400 miles above the Earth's surface in height alone. So it's a pretty cool uh, description. So lots of places to roam and see beyond speculation even in that new city.
1: So. Awesome.
0: Brandon, what age will everyone be in heaven? Because I don't know what age I would like to be.
1: Well, What age would you like to be? Because you have not told us this. Yeah, what age,
0: Archie? <laughs> well, I'm 40 this year, and I definitely don't want to be 40 in heaven. <laughs> so, 22 22. 22. See, 22, I was a young,
1: guppy, so immature. I don't think 22 is the age for me. Yeah, but there
0: won't be sin in heaven, so the immaturity
1: is out of the question. That's true. I'm just saying, it wasn't my ideal age.
0: Well, it's a perspective.
1: So how many of you would like, you're like 25 is the year for me. Go ahead, raise your hand. 25. Okay, how many of you are like 30? 30 is the year. Okay, 35. 40.
0: Forty-five. They're telling you. you Okay, and it's like
1: like thirteen
0: or something. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, immaturity's out. Don't think about that.
1: Yeah, so um this is like a a very debate. There is nothing, I can't see anything in scripture that would answer this. Like there's nothing to interpret this question through in terms of the lens of the scripture. Um, Thomas Aquinas, um, Years and years ago, kind of made the case that he thought a new glorified body would be around the age of Jesus. Um, So between that 30 to 33 mark, um, that might be the the resurrected body age. I mean, there's people that are going to agree and disagree with that. I think what's incredible... And I didn't mention this in the first service, but with all the DNA, it seems like everything um, I look at these days has a new mummy discovered or some new artifact. And what's incredible is how they can take the DNA from things that are 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 years old and if, if DNA exists for the purposes of not only identification, but that's the way the Lord wired us, then it's appropriate to believe that the Lord would have a systematic number throughout the codings of DNA and genetics that he could appropriately identify whatever the prime of our life would be. And I don't know if he'll do it that way, but I suppose he could uh, for me I think I just asked that question in terms of like children and infants, like there's many of us in this room um who uh we had um an infant uh that passed away or miscarriage that you've never met, and uh, you've got to ask the question well will they will they be children or will they be older um to me, that's speculatory I mean Isaiah when he talks about in sixty five as he alluded to earlier, children will play with with animals and a child will put his hand in the cobra's den. You could make the case there are going to be children in heaven. So, w- will that be how you meet children? Possibly. Um, David certainly, I think, um, had the expectation that he would see his son that he lost because of his sinfulness with Bathsheba. That he, I think, he'll see, he alludes to that he desires to see him again. Will that be his child? Possibly. One thing, just in my mind, you can take it for what you want. When I think about the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, the question I would ask is how old was Adam when he was initially created? What I do know is he was able to rule over and multiply and subdue the earth. And so that means he had to have some mark of maturity. And obviously there wasn't sin. So immaturity probably is exemplified with sin. Y'all could agree with that. But that didn't exist. But the other question is, he was able to procreate. So was he 18? Was he 20? Was he 23? 25? I don't know. I think you could conclude that it would be in the prime of your life. And then to me, when is the prime of your life? I think we would all disagree as to when that is. Some of you would say 20. Some of you would say 22, 23, 27, 40. Some of you would be like, 60, baby, I'm retired. I'm prime of my life. Um, I I don't know. I mean, so to me, it's a debatable thing, and there's no conclusive evidence. We'll know when we see more. But it will be a new glorified body with new glorified taste buds. And it'll be prime. You done yet? Better than anybody you've had today. You up? I don't know. You're done
0: yet. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. You've been in the bullpen warming up for a while. Are you ready? Will we recognize others? In heaven. Yeah, we're um, talking about heaven. Man, this is a great question.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I, I kind of got lost when I was talking a second. Um, that's a question we all ponder, and, and I think, um, I know my mother, I would probably be in prison if it wasn't for my mother, and she died in 97, so I, I would love to see her again in, a, in our glorified state in heaven, and I think I will, and I think I can rest assured on that because when Jesus was resurrected and he appeared before a doubting, a skeptical Thomas, and they, they identified him and knew who he was. When he was cooking breakfast on the shore of Sea of Galilee, they identified him and knew who he was. When he appeared before 500 others, they identified him. They knew who he was. Um, you look at the transfiguration uh, that ha- happened in Luke. It's recorded in Luke when um, Moses and Elijah appeared before those folks who had lived centuries before. They knew who they were and were able to identify them. You think about the account in Luke uh luke sixteen when y'all, if y'all if you haven't read this, you' ought to read it um where Abraham and the rich man and Lazarus were in desperate um they're they're in the chasm between heaven and hell, and they're they're one of them's wanting just a drop of cold water for their tongue because it's so scorching hot as did they can they can recognize one another through this chasm and so I think it it's safe to say that. It, we can identify others, even others that we may not know, such as Moses and Elijah. And so, I think I can certainly rest assured that I'll see my mother one day. So, uh, yeah, I think there's hope there.
0: Amen. Uh, Brandon, will we have emotions at the time of judgment? So, I think it's important to note there's going to be two
1: judgments. Um, there's going to be a judgment that you would see reference in Scripture. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 is noted as the Bama judgment. And the Bama judgment is for those who believe in Christ. And um, I, I, I think that's different than the Revelation 20 judgment, which is the white throne judgment, uh, where Jesus talks about clearly he's going to separate wheat from the chaff, goats from the sheep. Uh, one is for believers in which for us we're answering the question, hey, what have we done with Christ and what have we done with what he's entrusted to us Um, I think our hope in that is Romans 8 1 there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so certainly whatever response we have to him will not be out of condemnation or potentially even fear but I do think God's created us to have emotions and anytime you see a person response to an angelic being do y'all know what they do They tremble in fear. They hit the ground, right? So I think if we're in the presence of God, even if it's the bane of judgment as believers, I can't see any other response for me than to hit my knees and to be overcome with emotions. I think when you get to the white throne judgment, and that's people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, um, I think they're also going to have some sort of emotion because we know the Scripture said that hell is going to be like the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Does that sound pleasant? Does that sound like you could have that without emotions? Um, Charlie just mentioned Lazarus uh, in, in Luke 16, and the rich man, the rich man just saying, hey, Lazarus, would you just drop some water on my tongue? I mean, there obviously is, is emotions there. And then you get to, I think, Philippians 2.11, where it just talks about every knee will bow and every tongue will confess under heaven and earth. Um, I, I think we would have an appropriate response to either God's, Grace or to his judgment and condemnation for what we've done with Christ. And so I do think that you could conclusively say there
0: will be emotions. Okay. Charlie? I mean, I like taking naps. I mean naps are my friend. So will there be sleep in heaven? Who likes taking naps? So hey, Amen. I heard now. they I heard that. It keeps us young. Yeah.
2: Um, I think in heaven we're gonna obviously have a new body, right? We're gonna be we're gonna be able to recognize each other. We talked about that, but um, we're we're going to live in in front of the manifest presence of the Lord, so life as we know it will be different. Um, I don't think we're going to have bodies that need sleep because they're fatigued, they're sore. My back hurts. I need to go lay down. I don't. I don't think that's the case at all because we're going to have these glorified, perfect bodies living in perfect harmony with our Lord. Um, but God, God did create us to live in the physical realm, and He talks about a, re, making all things new and new heaven and new earth. So will there be sleep? There could be. Will there be Eating and drinking, there, there could be. But I don't think it's for the, the reasons because we need to sleep um, because we're sore or hurt or, or whatever. Um, on a side note, my, my, would there be a hospital in, in heaven, you think? I would say no. My, my daughter, I have a daughter, is a nurse in a ER, an ER, emergency room nurse in College Station. And just last week, they had a person bring a pony, and Aggie brought a pony into the ER. and And... And my daughter said, "What's the, what do you bring the pony in here for?" And the pers- the Aggie said, "It's a little horse." <laughs> okay, we won't need hospitals in heaven, but sleep—if we need it—won't it, it won't be for those reasons. Your dad, and, and I think the better question
1: is—is is like, can you forget things this bad? And you know, you know what I mean. I How mean, many of you are Aggies? Like, go ahead. Like, you'll admit to it. You're an Aggie. Whoop. Um, I mean, hey, we
0: talked about maturity earlier.
1: We also talked that we like to play, right? Hey, can I just say, bless your hearts? Are you are y'all embarrassed at this point, right now?
2: I represent the Aggie Nation poorly. I'm sorry.
1: Yes. And if you are sad, we're not sure if it's because of his terrible jokes or or y'all's bad football playing. We're not sure, but. I believe Jesus will protect me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, hey, back on a serious note, um, what are those who have died in Christ doing in heaven, and how do they commune with God and Jesus? And what do you think they talk about, Brandon? It's three questions. Can me a lot start of back with the one. first one. No, I think I've got it. Okay, uh-huh, say
1: it again. I, what, I thought you had it. They're in heaven and uh, they what commune they with God. Yeah. Like, what are they, what are they doing? So yeah, so they're communing in God. Um, I think if we're talking about the heaven right now. Uh, the best example of that we can get is revelation four, five, six, uh, you kind of get a glimpse into the reality of heaven. Uh, there obviously is some conversation. I think you could piece that together from even the things that Charlie's mentioned. Um, and as far as communing with God, um, there's obviously conversation because you have the martyrs in revelation six saying, Hey, when are you going to avenge our blood? Uh, there seems to be conversations that are t- uh, taking place between others, um, the exact nature of those conversations, I'm not sure. Uh, what John does see is a, a picture of worship in in the heaven, current state. Uh, I think you can make the case in Luke chapter 15 that there's rejoicing in heaven when, when sinners repent. So there is some sort of awareness as to what's going on in earth, and there's also some sort of communal experience that's happening now. I think... If you're not careful, you can confuse the heaven today with what it will be, and which the heaven that will be, I think, will look differently in terms of fellowship and communion long term, uh, because I think the heaven that will be will resemble more of what the really, I think, our communal nature with God and one another was meant to be from the beginning without the corruption of sin. And so I do think it looks differently now than what it will.
0: Okay, awesome. What's the most important thing that we're looking forward to in heaven?
2: Laying eyes on our Savior. Amen. And that, that, Amen. I tell you, I took, took a, the, when that movie came out, I could only imagine. I'm sure it moved a lot of us. But I, I saw it, and I had to take some kids from the high school. I, I work at Wills Point High School. And and knowing what I'm going to see again in the movie, I took this group of you know 15 or so people, and I'm about to break down so hard that I'm an emotional person. And my daughter happens to be sitting by me who's very untouchy. And I'm literally about to lose and just the you know the crazy boohoo and shaking and crying because I'm <laughs> so excited. I can't only imagine the thrill. And yeah, I'm excited to see my mother, but it it compares not to seeing my Savior.
0: Heaven is not heaven without the Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, we got time for one more.
2: You're in charge. Yeah, you're in <laughs> charge.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Do y'all have time for one more? Good deal. If y'all would have said no, we'd have made it
0: two more. So, Okay, Charlie. Uh, does God really forget our sins? And how could an omniscient God forget anything?
1: That's a good one to end
0: with, Charles.
2: That is a good one. Um, Charles. <laughs> nobody calls me Charles. I got totally distracted by that. Um, Chuck, go ahead. All right. <laughs> I repeat the question. No, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I, I think the, I, I, think it's really obvious that the psalmist would tell us that he forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west. And that's an immeasurable distance. Um, I think it's Isaiah that talks about he'll blot out our transgressions. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to purify us or cleanse us from our sins of all unrighteousness. So they're gone. They're forgotten. It's not that he doesn't know that we've done those things, but he has chosen to not hold those over our head. There's freedom, um, complete freedom, and the restoration and the grace of our Savior and his sacrifice on our behalf.
0: Amen. That'll
1: preach. Yeah, I think that's an appropriate ending right there because, I mean, really that's the gospel. I mean, and I love what he just said because there are things that God cannot do, right? God can't lie. And how does an all-knowing God forget anything? He chooses not to use our sin against us, and Amen. He put it on His Son at the cross. And because of that, we can have a new life in Him, and we can be His people, because He is our Savior, and we are His. And until we see Him, we're to live for Him. And I don't know about you, friends, I can do a little bit better job living for Him, right? Amen. Um, and so may the Lord help us.
0: Amen you close us in prayer
1: cool i'll close us father in heaven we love you and we thank you for this morning we thank you for the wrap up of uh, six weeks of just talking about what heaven will be and lord here's what we do know we know that where we're living now is not our home we know this is not the reality of what it can be And so, Lord, we ask that in a place where we as followers of Jesus are living as orphans, as aliens, as strangers, uh, Lord, we are like fish out of water. And I pray that we wouldn't long for this to be our home, that we would long for our spiritual dwelling with you. We take heed in the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, that if he goes away, he's preparing a place for us. And, Lord, we know it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be better than anything we could ask, think, or imagine. And, and we oftentimes wonder what's going to be there. But, Lord, you are the giver of good things. And I presume to believe that all the good things you give us here are going to be there, free of the distortion of sin and the muck and the mire that we live in. And so, Lord, until then, would you help us to live for you, to love you, and to serve you as we await the approaching of our King? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.